Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. The Southern Sun. Brown tried to divide them, giving preference to some. The diggers wouldn't have it. They said it's all of us or none. They built a stockade while the redcoats massed nearby. And they heard the miners shouting, we're ready now to die. The rebel miners waited for whatever lay in store. And on one December morning... Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Keep Left, the <coughs> program of the Victorian Labor College. In the studio is John Lafferty. Morning, everybody. Kim Doyle. Morning, everyone. And myself, Chris Gaffney. And uh, we'll get John to start on the uh, momentous events in Greece. Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. The people of Greece have been dealt a savage blow by the government which came to power just this year, promising to end austerity. The Syriza government of Alexis Tsipras said it would end what it called, quote, the humiliation and pain of the demands of Europe's capitalist Troika. This week Tsipras showed where he stands, and it's not on the side of the working class which put him into power. Ever since 2008, Greece has experienced an economic crisis, which even the BBC has compared to the Depression in the USA in the 1930s. Over the past seven years, the economy has been contracting annually and it's predicted that GDP will drop even further this year too. The effects of this are rarely felt by the rich, who continue to be cushioned despite Syriza's entry onto the scene. It's the poor who suffer the most. An estimated 25% of the population are unemployed and in some regions youth unemployment is at 60%. Meanwhile, 45% of pensioners receive payments well below the poverty line. For those who are employed, things are also getting worse. Between 2008 and 2013, Greeks became an average 40% poorer. Steep cuts have been experienced in workers' compensation and in social benefits. The Suiza Alliance only started to win popularity in 2008 in response to the economic downturn. They are often described, and they describe themselves, as radical left, but they contain many members who are reformists, populists, Greens and social democrats. Some do identify as Marxists, Eurocommunists or similar. However, in gaining power, they have become more and more populist whilst still maintaining a commitment to the Eurozone, something which people are increasingly questioning. Syriza is, in effect, a broad coalition of left-leaning groups. This could be viewed as a strength in that it may mean more representation. It can also be a weakness as it means less clear direction and a propensity for splintering. And that's what's happening now. On the 26th of January this year, Syriza won government, but only in an ever-broader coalition which included the right-wing but anti-austerity New Democrats. Cyprus was made Prime Minister and Greek-Australian Yanis Varoufakis was made Finance Minister. Many people throughout the world were quick to celebrate Syriza's victory, as if just winning an election in and of itself was ever a revolutionary movement. 
Comedian Russell Brand claimed that Syriza offered, quote, a different kind of politics, and he urged his Twitter followers to get down with that. Other leftist groups throughout the world, including here in Australia, also jumped on the bandwagon a bit too eagerly. I don't say this to be cynical or pessimistic, but to be realistic. Of course, Syriza's election offered hope, but we need to have learned by now. Wait and see what the politicians do, not just be won over by the right words. In a sense, it was reminiscent of the naive gushing over Barack Obama in 2008-2009 when he too offered hope. By 2010, that hope was just a memory. For his part, Alexis Tsipras promised the restoration of dignity to the Greek people, bringing electricity back to the homes of the poorest and creating new jobs. As things turned out, Syriza didn't even nationalise the banks and they didn't seriously stand up to the capitalist troika of the European Union, the European Central Bank and the International Monetary Fund. They refused to impose capital controls on the wealthiest Greeks emptying their bank accounts. They instead let this greedy few withdraw billions from the country's banks over the last few months. Only in the last few weeks, when people of modest means are trying to keep their heads above water, the capital controls come in. The bank doors closed, and the bank doors, I believe, are still closed, and the ATMs deliver no more than 60 euro per day. That's the equivalent of about 100 Australian dollars. In January, the Greek people voted against austerity. Not even two weeks ago, they were asked yet again in a referendum if they would accept the Troika's latest austerity measures. That was the ones before this week. 61% said no. That would be a fairly obvious democratic statement. The finance minister, Yanis Varoufakis, said before the vote that he would resign if the vote was a yes. So the vote was a resounding no, but he resigned anyway. He had been the chief negotiator with the European bosses, but following his resignation, it was Alexis Tsipras himself who then went on to accept a deal even harsher than the previous ones. This new deal imposes severe measures, including mass privatisation and pension cuts, which, of course, Syriza previously campaigned against. Cyprus has even agreed to turn over 50 billion euros in public assets to a trust controlled by Germany. This 50 billion euro trust would then sell off the assets to private speculators and use much of the proceeds to pay off Greece's creditors. What a situation. This is a massive betrayal of the working class. Varoufakis is now out of his government job. He's rightly called it a surrender and a humiliation. He said that the country's parliament had once again become, quote, a mere appendage of the Troika. He also indicated that despite the fact that Cyprus had campaigned for a no vote in the referendum, the victory of the no vote had created an atmosphere of defeat within Syriza's ranks. Clearly, the Syriza group is in a state of disarray. Many of its MPs, including the new finance minister, have already resigned in protest. On Wednesday, the parliament voted by 229 to 64 to accept the new austerity package. 229 to 64, how can they possibly claim to represent a population where 61% have voted against a package that wasn't as bad? Many of the no's have come from the Communist Party, but 32 Syriza MPs also voted against the package. Following the vote, it was thought that Syriza's left platform and that there may, be, uh, there may be things happening which I don't know about. I wrote this up yesterday. 
Following the vote, it was thought that Syriza's left platform may organise to kick out Cyprus and force early elections. But seriously, what do elections even mean in Greece at this time? The situation in Greece is very fluid, like I say. People are in the streets of Athens and other cities in their hundreds of thousands. People are rightly angry at this betrayal. The European ruling class has shown yet again that when it comes to a choice between democracy and capitalism, they will always choose capitalism. They did it last year in Ukraine. They're doing it this year in Greece. This country, the home of the whole concept of democracy, now stands on the brink of a potential people's uprising or a right-wing coup d'etat. Leave it there. Yes, that's very good. Very good, uh, Yeah, John. thanks for that, John. Uh, thank you very much. I, I, think, I think the other point that uh, is clear to me that Syriza wanted a yes vote. In that referendum, although they put the referendum there, that's why? A, that's what Varoufakis is saying. Well, that's what I think that's what they... They wanted a yes vote because mm. then they could accept the austerity and say... It's not the our Greek fault. Pe- it's not yeah. our fault. It's the Greek people. I actually disagree with that. I think that they did want... That Cyprus did want a no vote, but he completely underestimated the social force of it because he wanted to go to the Troika and use it as a bargaining chip, the no vote. But he unleashed a force that he underestimated and I think he also underestimated how staunch the Germans would be as well. So I think he did actually want a no vote as a bargaining chip. Yeah. Well either either way the, the common link between those two uh, we disagree on that but I think the common link is that they feared the working class mm. coming onto the political scene. Yep. And when 61% vote no uh, this means that the working class are coming into play mm. and that's not good for, that social democrats don't like that. No, they, they don't like it because they lose control. Because they lose control, and, and they uh, they want the parliament of elected, uh, safe representatives to decide the matter. My view is that they wanted a, a yes vote, which would give them a cover to accept the austerity. They got a no vote, which they were surprised at. I was. Mm. This program said, the, we, oh, no, it was predicted. we thought that the no vote would, would win. Yes. because we realised that there was a Greek people voting, not the parliament. Yes, it was predicted that no would win. I mm. think yeah. though that. Not to push the point too much, but I think that the, if there had been a yes vote, then they would have had to have called elections in Greece. That's what um, Syriza would have had to have done. Yeah, but, so but, I don't think it's what they wanted. Yeah, but can I just make the point that, you know, we've, like, we were saying that a couple of weeks ago. They had a referendum in January. It was called an election. They just had another referendum two weeks ago. They've said what they wanted and they don't want austerity. Mm. This is the democratic voice of the people. The referendums and elections are being ignored and the parliament is saying, well, we'll vote this way, the opposite of what the people want. So the parliament is not representative. The parliament has proven itself to be an absolute farce. Well, I think what it also shows is social democracy, that is the stream of politics that come from the Labour Party. It's failed. They are pro-capitalist, like the Labour Party. At the end of the day, they are pro-capitalist. And Syriza falls into that category. Yes. What we need and what we've advocated is what they should have done. On coming to power, they should have nationalised the banks immediately and established workers' committees to potentially prepare for taking of power in Greece. That's That's the betrayal. That's That's the betrayal. That's what they should have done. They waited and they waited and hoped the problem would go away. 
because they didn't want to mobilise the working class because they, because they could lose control. And remember that the leaders themselves stated their loyalty to capitalism mm. almost as soon as they got in. They said, well, it's not a good system, but, you know, but, we've got to make the best of it. Yeah. Rubbish. But, that always leads you. You're either on one side. Which side are you on? Mm. You're either on the side of the bosses or you're on the side of the workers. <laughs> and if the workers... Sorry, I'll, I'll calm down a second. <laughs> okay, if, no. the workers, if the workers win and have... Had, have for people's authority, they should have gone for it. They should have gone for it. Here was a chance for the working class to take control. I had six, and seven Sarat, months. Sarizzo was never yeah, going to do that. No, six months, and it's really been six months of just dragging along, and ultimately the, the guys in Hoping Berlin, they, they, they'll, they'll figure Hoping things the up. But, but the thing is that Sarizzo is not a party like the ALP or a social democrat, but it is a very, very broad coalition. I mean, it really is very... That's why they have like four flags. Well, the Labour Party symbol, in this you know. country used to yeah. be, and they kicked out all of the left-wingers and mm. left yeah. It was based on the social movements and the yeah. different groups that coalesced around There's this. There's many, many groups. So many, I think the biggest groups. one is Sinofismos, which is more um, conservative and is kind of a split off, I think, from the Euro-communists, yeah. but it's quite complicated and yes, I don't is. totally understand. Oh, no, no, there's this... But I think the fundamental class you know. question, on the fundamental class question, mm. they fail. Yes. Yes. I think, too, what's going to happen now is what they're pushing for <laughs> is this national unity government, mm. which basically, I think, because of what's happening in Syriza at the moment, they're going to find it very difficult to govern in their own right and the Europeans are pushing for this national unity government with the other forces. The other forces are not being too cooperative at the moment, you know, PASOK and all that because basically they're they're enjoying seeing Syriza in the same position they were in. But eventually the Europeans will put pressure on them as well to play nice for Syriza, I think. I, I well, think that, when it, when it comes... The national government will be simply the capitalist class in yeah. power. Democratic yeah. government. Yeah. I, I, they, they won't need a coup d'etat. They would have in the old days, 20, 30 years ago, but they won't need a coup d'etat. But I think when we say Syriza has failed, I think that there are elements in Syriza who are still quite genuine, still quite tender. But, well, Cyprus definitely has failed. Mm. And now Varoufakis, he's saying, I'm out of it and I'm going to be a critic. Well, that, 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 that was at least... Right, anyway, yeah. we better move on. But he was considered too left-wing and too, mm. too staunch for yes. by a lot of people. Anyway. Yeah. No, we'll see what happens. Well, I'm going to talk about something uh, closer to home, but it is connected in that um, there's been a rise in fascism in... Greece, although that's quite serious, there's just been some small fascist groups um, in Australia making a bit of a fuss. But they'll actually be joined by Nationals MP George Christensen, who announced yesterday that he would be speaking at one of the upcoming reclaim rallies um, in Australia. Really? Yes. So I'm not suggesting that he's joining the fascists, but he's joining a demonstration at which there will be fascists. Um, So the rallies are a follow-up to the protests that were held in April, which saw the anti-Muslim and anti-racist groups come face-to-face in cities across the country, which people might have seen on the news with um, the images of reclaimed protesters with swastikas tattooed um, on the back of their head and, and so on. And you think that that might be enough to keep MPs away, or maybe the fact that one of the key organisers was actually caught on video calling Aboriginal people um, dickheads, or that there was a general racist uh, vibe to the whole thing that you couldn't possibly miss, uh, but apparently not. Um, at least not for um, George Christensen. And he actually came out after the first reclaim rally to denounce the anti-reclaim protesters as racists and then reported them to the Human Rights Commission. 
Um, even Labor MP Tim Watts uh, thinks this is ridiculous and he posted on his Facebook page, Tony Abbott is happy to ban his cabinet ministers from appearing on Q&A um, and yet he allows his backbench to attend um, Islamophobic rallies undermining uh, counter-terrorism efforts without objection. So I'm not sure if I'm that worried about our counter-terrorism efforts, but that does seem to echo uh, some of the sentiment around uh, Zaki Malai in that um, this climate of anti-Muslim hysteria is actually um, really PR for ISIS, if anything. And Christensen said in defence on his Facebook page that, and I quote, after I announced I would be speaking at the Reclaim Australia rally against uh, radical Islam in Mackay on Sunday, the do-gooders and politically correct uh, brigade went into apoplexy to the point where, the, where this Twitter keyboard warrior is telling the world he hopes I will be shot at the rally. Um, and what he's referring to there is this is quite bizarre, is that um, someone on Twitter um, said that he would be, called him chubby guts and said that I bet you're not, you know, up to coming to the to the rally and so on. And Christensen in his tweet has given him a, um, a place um, for, he's just given him an address, basically making a time and place for a brawl. It's very bizarre <laughs> behaviour for... Well, um, that's, yeah. that's, that's one way to settle it, I reckon, yeah. and then we can go move on, you yeah. know. <laughs> yes, um, but it is bizarre behaviour for an MP, really. Um, and as someone pointed out, uh, this threat is pretty tame in comparison to what's been coming from the Reclaim camp. And people might have seen, um, as was reported in The Age, there was a bit of a, an expose of the fascists, which I don't think they were too happy about. But the article is called Anti-Racism Protesters Warned to Stay Away from Anti-Islamic Rally. Now, I don't really put much stock in any of these uh, threats. But Neil Erickson, who um, is one of the leaders and most prominent um, people on um, social media, um, and he's an administrator of the United Patriots Fund, promoted um, a video showing one patriot versus a thousand unwashed filth in which he praises uh, the man convicted of killing a 16-year-old and stabbing another man um, in the chest. Um, and apparently this was um, some sort of neo-Nazi attack that happened in Spain in 2007. Um, but this is all just a lot of bluff and nonsense because, as we know, last time... Uh, well, people might have heard last time the fascists um, organised, uh, they just ended up uh, being escorted away very nicely by the police. Um, and actually, um, the best way to um, to actually stop them um, is just to have the largest amount of numbers there, and it's really just a whole lot of bluster and talk. Um, and one pem- and, well, it's also quite ridiculous that at the moment Tony Abbott seems to think. Um, that reclaim is less dangerous than Q&A, although we all find Q&A both boring and infuriating at the same time. Not to mention insipid, yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, But I think it shows you that, like, a lot of this uh, racism and hysteria is actually being whipped up by not just the Liberals, but also the Labor government is pandering to it. So it's, Well, don't fall for it, then. Yeah, but there's no... No, you don't fall for it. No, I don't fall for it. No, you so really there's, though there's So there's no... Um, yeah. This is why that these people managed to get a hearing, is that uh, actually the government is making them sound um, not 
dissimilar or unreasonable to the mainstream view. Well, I remember Carl Rove's comment, if you want to win an election, scare the stupid people. It's well, yes, and the, the rally's on um, 10 o'clock at um, Parliament on Saturday. It's 10, o'clock, it's 10 o'clock Parliament steps yep. on this Saturday. Yes. Well, I'll be welcome. But, um, well, and I'd, I'd love to go to one of these things because I haven't been to one of these things for quite a while, but they are a circus and people go there looking for a fight. And it really is, I think, if people are falling for racism or anti-racism, I really think there's an awful lot of confusion there. Anyway. I think it's more about just making sure that the far right doesn't organise because this is the largest it's been in We've got to kick them off the streets. Yeah. I mean, Recla- freedom of speech, fine, but when they come on the streets, stumble on their Look, heads. Reclaim Australia is headed, I believe, still by a guy called Danny Malia or Danny Nalia. Uh, now he's got to start a, the fire ministry. You know, yeah, yeah, you yeah, catch the fire. There's yeah, lots you know. of different groups in it that aren't fascists. Well, he's he's reclaim Australia, I believe. But um, oh no, they they are anti-Muslim. This is his they're whole thing. Right-wing. They're, they're, yeah. they're nationalistic. They love to wave the flag. Well, also well, you know, anti-women whatever. in their anti-abortion. Yeah, anti-gays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah well, maybe if you go further into it. But he's got some Saudi Arabian connection. If he's the leader of reclaim Australia, and and this is who is the head, really. They're uh, pretty ridiculous, and they'll they eat themselves up if they're taken seriously. I mean, I couldn't take them. Well, seriously, you couldn't so. take them. Seriously, I couldn't take but, Danny Nally seriously. Many, many, many a Herald Sun reader, <laughs> if they take the Herald Sun seriously, they may well take. No, the, that's a lot. But also, ball. at the that's last rally, there was a lot of people who who didn't end up going, who would have gone because they didn't want. Um, you know, a, a biffo or, or whatever when they saw like that, that the, when they, yeah, it wasn't. But, are there a but lot they were intimidated. But I mean, a lot of um, a lot of people who would have gone along to the racist demonstrations thought, oh no, I'm not going to go, and that was because the left was there was you know the left was there saying this is not acceptable. Not so it is well, does actually good. make the rallies smaller, which is important. I agree. I do agree entirely. Now, well, before I start my little thing, I thought all those people out there who were repaying university debts. You know, for your education, for going to university, which was once free and now you're paying a shitload of money. Uh, well, I, I, I think I heard them about 12000 got Buckley's hope they've ever get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm about, I think I'm up to about 2500 I think it increases, doesn't it? What? I think it increases? Yeah. Well, I've like, got yeah, 40000 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're up 40000 mm-hmm. My son's up to sixty. you You're smart. <laughs> well, you must be clever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm anyway. expensive, at least. Anyway, um... You might be interested to know that the mayor of Darabin, the Labour Party mayor of Darabin, has got council to pay pay for his degree, uh, a degree in communication or something, and what he's doing at the moment, he went on to do a master's. The council is almost also paying for that. So an ordinary suburban council is paying nearly $30,000 to the mayor to get his private education satisfied. Now, if that's not, if that's not stinks, uh, I'll eat my hat. Anyway, to move on to the main thing, there's an economic summit being convened on August the 26th, organised by two Australian leading newspapers, uh, The Australian and The Financial Review, no friends of the left. And these newspaper summit, this newspaper is reflecting frustration in business and, and financial circles that the Abbott Liberal government is not moving fast enough in measures to deepen the assault on the workers in the name of reform of the Australian economy. They want lower wages, they want higher profits, nothing new about that. Editorials in both newspapers announcing the summit made clear its central agenda and recalled, in doing so, the National Economic Summit of 1983 called by the Hawke government. That meeting in 1983 led to the Prices and Income Accord 
and the opening of a continuous assault on wages and working conditions which went right throughout the 13 years of the Hawke Labor government. The, the uh, summit being organised calls for root and branch tax, tax reform to raise more revenue from consumption, i.e. the GST, GST and less from income, including, of course, corporate profits, which they actually name. The claim that the 1983 support Accord enjoyed community support, of course, is a fiction. It was forcibly imposed by the trade union bureaucracy through the illegalisation, if that's a word, of all independent trade union activity. So, in other words, if you didn't agree to the wage cutting agreement of the Accord, Mm. then you were smashed. You remember Mm -hmm. how the smashing up the shop stewards committees took place? Mm -hmm. And all other forms of rank-and-file organisation. And in 1989, they actually brought in troops to break an airline pilot strike in support of wages outside the Accord's restrictions. The frustration of the big business chiefs with the Abbott government was voiced by the head of the government's Audit Commission, former BCA chair Tony Shepard. He said, we have to get the community on board for wage cutting, etc., meaning, of course, the trade union bureaucracy as well as the social welfare organisations such as ACOS. Not you and I, not the public, but these organisations. And they hopefully will get these organisations to line up behind the agenda of the corporate and financial elites and will collaborate with them in opposing it. The trade unions have left no doubt where they stand. The ACTU Secretary Dave Oliver said it was essential that unions and business work together to prioritise investment and tackle the changes in the nature of work. This is the high road, I'm quoting here, this is the high road unions want to walk with business and government to grow our economy and provide decent, secure jobs Happy and together. improve the living standards of all Australians, Happy which together. is exactly what it's intended yes. not to do. Mm. Um, this rhetoric of taking the high road will bring to mind the, the rhetoric that accompanied the prices and income of Accord of 1983. Mm. The suppression of wages, it was argued then, was necessary to enhance the social wage and involve workers through their unions in a partnership which would determine the direction of the Australian economy. Of course, the result was a driving down of wages by some 15% in a decline in real wages and the transfer of wealth and income to the upper echelons of society, which the Liberal government has built on the work done by the Labor government. The Labor Party seized on the summit to promote its appeal to business circles. And uh, it says that it, the Labor Party, is a more reliable means of enforcing this agenda. Mm. That's what they're mm. on about. Oh, yeah. The same agenda as the corporate elite, that they'll do it better than the, than the Abbott government. Yeah, and they're proud of it, too. Oh, yeah, because they're better at class collaboration, which always ends up screwing over the working Absolutely. class. Absolutely. Labor tr- shadow treasurer Chris Bowen underscored Labor's commitment to budget-cutting measures saying that the days of Santa Claus economics were over. When exactly were they? When, were, when was that? When exactly? I, mean, no, I must have been asleep. We, we must have missed We that. meant to be asleep. Perhaps it only happens once a year. <laughs> In his budget reply speech a few days later, Bill Shorten, oh, no. uh, Shorten on em- ambition, emphasised his commitment to bipartisanship a commitment which has been honoured in the increasing collaboration of Labor in the previously blocked, but now unblocked, austerity measures from the 2014 budget. This collaboration is certainly to intensify in the period ahead, as Labor itself 
aligns itself more openly with the agenda of the corporate and the financial elites. And given I've got four minutes, I'm going to tackle very quickly one thing. There's a, a myth that's going around, of course, that the capitalist system has met, will, dra will drag the world's poor out of poverty and into... Uh, the trickle-down effect. The trickle-down effect, or the, whichever way you want to see it. There's been a new report out put out by the Pew Research Centre, and it show, shows that 71% of the population are either poor or low income, subsisting on less than $10 a day. That's 71% of the world's population. 84% <coughs> of people live on less than $20 a day, which is deemed deep poverty in the United States. Only 7% of the world's population live on what the report calls a high income level of more than, more than $50 a day, which is, if you've been on the dole, is not much at all. Um, before the financial crash of 2008, there was an emergence of a new global middle class, apparently, supposedly in the developing countries. And this was touted as showing that capitalism was capable of bringing economic prosperity to those living in poverty. The report says the global middle class is much smaller than we think, it is less well-off than we think, and it is regionally more concentrated than we think. There has been a number of a reduction in the number of people living on $2 a day, but those who have descended from this low category have only gone up to $10 a day, which still classifies them as being in an extreme poverty. So, in short, capitalism has failed and it's not intended <coughs> to raise the living standards of the bulk of the world's people who continue to live in grinding, in grinding poverty. Uh, Ethiopia, for example, experienced a decline of 27% people percent in the share of people who could be considered poor. This translated into an increase of 26% in the country's share of low-income earners and only a one-point increase in middle-income earners. So, <coughs> the death of the middle class, which in, by which they, you normally mean the working class in America, yeah, is is a reality. Mm. The middle is being squeezed. We're having a division between the extremely rich, ludicrously yeah, rich and extremely poor, and the rest of us who are gradually getting poor. Mm. And more poverty is on the way if the corporates have their agenda, mm. and they're going to do so when they impose this austerity with the help of the Labour Party. Yes. Can I compare this just quickly to something that's been talked about <coughs> quite a lot this week? But um, Bronwyn Bishop's $5,227 from Melbourne helicopter. to Geelong. Yes, from Melbourne to Geelong. It, is, it, takes an it hour. would Yes, I think it would actually be quicker if to you walk. took. If to walk. <laughs> I've heard of people riding. But if, if you actually took a car, like that is just absolutely The freeway's obscene. not that bad, surely. Well, uh, their attitude is that public money is our yeah. money. And exactly. she pays it back. But hang on a minute. It's theft. It's theft. And exactly. if you get caught, if anyone else gets caught, yeah, you stole $5,000, you don't simply pay it back because this time you get caught. It was also for well, a Liberal Party fundraiser, and she yeah. is meant to be the independent, I mean, it's the ludicrous yeah, fast, but speaker, the independent yeah. speaker, so she's not meant to be claiming money for things like that. Can I just put in a couple of things? Yeah, look, Chris, your story on Northcourt Council was interesting. The problem, I think, that we didn't give it a reaction was we'd already held it. I'm outraged, though, because I studied communications <laughs> and I've got the debt, big debt. Well, we've all got debts. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. Uh, this bloke who is 
defines the meaning of hack. So become a Labour He's MP. He's completely untalented. He said nothing of any interest to anybody. And by a system of rotation which they have there in the Darabin Labour Councils get to get to be mayor mm. and obviously get to get to spend the residents' money. Yeah, you know. Mm. But this is it. It's a gravy train. Whether it's Bishop or your bloke up in Northcourt, it's a gravy train. They're on there. They're careerists. Oh, know, they are careerists. The vast majority of them. Some of them do nothing when they get into Parliament. They're sitting in that big comfy chair and well, doing mayor, saying nothing. This mayor's you know? done nothing. This yeah. mayor's done nothing. But he's got his turn to be mayor and he thought, yahoo, I'm yeah. going to clean up here. And, he's, and he did. And he's, well, he's, I mean, he's, all that Bronwyn Bishop does is kick out Labour Party MPs, expel them from the parliament. That's yes, you don't need to be a major intellectual to do that. Or follow, you know, um, cues from bloody Christopher Pine. Oh, can, I, yes. can I just get in a quick pl- plug for uh, Pipsy, public interest before corporate interest? And the next meeting for Pipsy down on uh, down in Frankston area is at the Frankston Library, Tuesday at 5pm, and that's every fortnight. So hopefully uh, there'll be a few people coming well, along I, to that. People, it's your chance to ring up. We could be in a bit of a problem here because we don't seem to have a producer at this stage. Um, do you want to zoom? Can someone zoom out and say, can we get a producer? We've been abandoned. We've been abandoned. It's like the, they heard we were coming on and everybody left the studio. Can I keep complaining about Bronwyn Bishop? Please, yes. please. Because she also apparently spent, well, in just six months from June to December 2014, she's racked up nearly 400000 in taxpayer-funded entitlements, including 130000 which was spent on two overseas trips, including a mind-boggling 88000 uh, I've got the exact figure, so I'm just going to say it, $88,084.29 um, um, trip uh, to Europe with her staff, which was part of her campaigning for the presidency of the Inter-Parliamentary Union. Do you well, remember? Her personal, her, yeah, it's her personal campaigning. Um, she actually as you may remember, ended up losing it uh, to someone else because of the whole trying to ban the burqa in the parliament thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they were also horrified about that in the international community. That but they don't even it. blush, do they, these people? No. No. Hey, go on, yeah. We're just uh, gonna, we're going to so we're getting somebody in and the well, problem, anyway, problem will be sorted. Well, we hope so. The number to ring is 94190155, You can Whether we've talked about it or not, whether you agree with us or not, 94190155. I see the uh, whole Ukraine business has been stirred up again. I'm just having a look at this now. Shocking new video shows Russian-backed rebels ransacking the luggage of passengers. Is this new? I, I think we've seen this before. I well, think no, we've they say ransacking the. I mean, if it, if it was an American doing that, they would say, you know, it, there's a looking for evidence, looking you for know, evidence sort of. Yeah, stuff, but of course, when it comes to Russians, they're ransacking. Oh, yeah. Well, they showed the video this morning, and it just sounds like. Well, I don't know. Just from what they were saying, they were just saying, "Oh my God, this is a civilian flight." They are so a lot of bodies. Like- yeah, there are a lot of. But this is a quote. Sorry, Ken. But there are a lot of bodies. Women. You see, they are foreigners. It's a civilian. That all came out last year. So, look, I'd need to see the video. I'd need to go through the whole thing. But to me, it just looks like a whole lot more propaganda. There's no evidence, There's no real evidence as to who shot the plane down. And it's very hard to imagine that anybody would have shot down what they knew to be a passenger plane. Yeah. Because what's the benefit? Tony Abbott what's was on... What's the benefit? On, Tony Abbott do was... things for reason. What reason would the Russian separatists have 
Mm. For shooting the other passenger plane. I also think that it's ridiculous that they were charting flights across a war zone. Yes, it's well, a war yes, zone. Exactly. Tony Abbott was on the, the, the TV this morning because, of course, it's the first anniversary, so they're having this big mm. commemoration, and he's being all brave and everything, yeah, yeah, right? Of and, you know, Mr. Australia, he right? Yeah. And he's saying, we know that the Russian backed rebels shot this down. We don't know. We that. think. We think, yes. You know, but he just throws in the we think at the end of this great big statement that yes. we know they yes. did this, this, and that. So it's still a we think situation. Where's the evidence? Well, you don't need so. evidence because what, you, what they're trying to do is support the Americans who they're trying to make their way into Eastern Europe and they're going to do this through the mechanism of the Ukraine. This is their way to, to get at Russia. And, uh, of course, uh, it backfired rather badly when the Russians actually occupied the Crimea because the West didn't expect that, and they did also with the support of the Crimean people, which makes it very even more difficult to refund. But so the Herald... mounting, there's a campaign on to demonise Russia. So the Herald Sun spends the first five full pages speaking about and showing great graphic pictures of this issue before you finally get to Broman Bishop. And all I wanted it for was the ashes. Well, I, didn't, I didn't buy it. It was on the ABC yeah, this morning as well. They actually had, I saw they had one of the uh, victims, I think, whose, whose parents had, had died in the plane crash, hmm. which is very sad. It is. But he was, he was saying, he was sort of showing the video and he's like, oh, yeah, I have seen that before. I don't really make much of it. For me, it's just about ending the conflict. Yes. Like, it's the war that is at fault. So they didn't really get anything out of, <laughs> out of him that they were hoping, I feel. Right. Yes, right. because the, the, like, there was a Dutch guy speaking and he was saying, well, that's just what these people do. You know, this is the way they behave. It's a war zone. Yes. They're in a state of war. It's a very desperate situation. That's right. All and you send enough. a plane over there. I mean, yeah, I agree. That, it, 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 Why were they no. sending planes? At, no. Would you go on a plane? But these people said, are very decent and good people. Saying this, whoever this person you're speaking about is very good and decent people who can see through the BS. Yes, you yes. know, even though they've lost a loved one, which is absolutely tragic. Of course, but it's, it's always tragic when somebody loses a loved one, and, and, and in war, it's no less tragic. But if you're going to London, would you agree to go on a plane that flew over Afghanistan and Iraq? Well, you I have a look think at you that. Would have. What? You have a look at that little map as you're going across countries. Well, you know, it's that's an angle. Right, that's right, and you see all these. Muslims. I know what's happening in eastern Ukraine. Now, let me. Up. Yes, yes, exactly. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.